welcome to Uncut Jewels, a podcast featuring some of my favorite musicians and the great work of their lives, changing the world one song at a time. I'm your host, Kristen Jewell, and I'm excited to share my crazy world with you. So let's get to it. Come on in. Happy holidays. It's Kristen Jewell welcoming you back to Uncut Jewels. We're so happy you're here. Hopefully it's a good day for you. Today was a very interesting day. We're happy. It's good. Um, we obviously released some music recently, so please, please, please check our site and check our artist site out for some of those songs we've got today. We just released Deck the Halls for, uh, for Jessica Childress. We have today from CJ Ray and Deck the Halls from uh, Jessica Childress. And thank you to everyone who's added the songs to their playlists. We really appreciate it, especially now that it's the holidays. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Jessica's song, well, many of her songs are in Hallmark movies and a couple of them are in Hallmark Christmas movies. So if you happen to be watching Hallmark Christmas movies this year um, or the rest of the season, please Shazam if you hear her songs. We'd love to see those Shazams come in. They're so much fun. So anyway, so yeah, Deck the Halls, add it to your playlist. If you hear it on uh, the Hallmark Christmas movies called Our Christmas Love Song on Hallmark this uh, season, and I think it probably will run until 2020 is over, (laughs) most likely. Our guest tonight, our guest, final guest for the year is Binky Griptite, and I'm going to ask him to join us. He is one of the most amazing guitarists. Uh, come on, Binky Griptite, let's have a conversation. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Thank you for asking. I'm cheerful. <laughs> I feel, I feel yeah, cheerful. And I'm completely overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and if I never have to shovel snow again, I would be very happy. <laughs> That's yeah. But I did escape I, and I did the New York thing. So I, I feel like I've did it twice. So like I put yeah. my time in. Now I get to like relax. Okay. <laughs> have you been to California? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I only just come out there for business. So it's always, you know, mm. too short. I've only had like very limited, like sort of recreational experiences in, in mm. L.A. But I did get to see a little bit of residential L.A. the last time I was there with a friend. Yeah, I could see it's got it's got a thing. It's definitely got a thing. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. It is a little concerning though when it's you know you just know the weather's you know a little it's a little confusing now. So, but it's not Florida confusing. That's at least that's there's yeah, that. So. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So you're in New York now. Is that where you're at? Yeah, I've been um, in New York now. I mean, I'm, it's been my home now for uh, a little more than twenty years. Actually, I, every, I have to do the math every time, and I feel like I get it wrong every time, but probably like maybe 24 years or so. I feel like I moved here in 96. Okay. Oh, that's a good year. That was a good year. Yeah. You know. Darn. I don't know. Was that like the Giuliani years? I don't I don't think I caught any of the Dinkins years. Oh, I was there for the Dinkins years. Oof. I was there for all of that. The Tompkins Square riots. Um, yeah. That was insane. Yeah. That was like the late 80s, early, ni- early 90s, late 80s. <clears throat> all right. Yeah. I think it was the Giuliani years. Yeah. And like when I got here, it's like it was like the um, I, I saw the whole Times Square transformation. Yeah. To Disney. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Like I, I saw the old Times Square as a tourist, but then by the time I moved here, everything was closed up and then in the midst yeah. of the transformation into the horror show that it is now. Oh, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big mess there. I have to say, though, I moved there in 88 and it was pretty tough back then. Yes. Yeah. But like that's what made it cool. That's what made people want to move here. Was because like, like you, mm. you heard all the horror stories and you'd be like, "That's for me," you know. Yeah. And then by the time I got, here, it was all gone. Yeah, I mean it's not all gone. It's but it's just it's it's toned down quite a bit. 
He has family. It's gentrified. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and there's still like little pockets of grittiness, but it's not as in your face as it used to be. So do you live in Manhattan now or are you out in the boroughs? I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's a weird area. I mean, not weird, but it's like it's kind of Bed-Stuy, but it's kind of like the eastern edge of Bed-Stuy. Hmm. So it's like it's, I kind of live in three different neighborhoods, depending on who you ask. That's awesome. You're yeah. like, I could be cool. I could be fancy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like literally like Bushwick is across the street from me pretty much. The only other time I've heard about Bushwick is who's that guy? Dave. Uh, shout out Dave. He works with, oof, I think he used to work with you actually, now that I think about it. Dave. Reg Flips on Dave, the sound guy, oh, engineer. Dave, Dave Lyles. Yeah. Yeah. Lyles. Like he's out in, I think he's in Bushwick. <laughs> volunteered to give us a drum kit one time. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get out to Bushwick yeah. to get that kit. Yeah, he's like a mile from <laughs> me or something. Oh, so you guys are out there. Now I know, have a visual. Great. Yeah. So everything. So obviously, we're not here to talk about New York geography with you, but I, I did want to take a little trip down memory lane. Um, yeah. So I know you were born in, gosh, let's see, Milwaukee, raised in yeah. Minneapolis. Did I get that wrong? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Born and raised in Milwaukee until about 21 or so. I moved to Minneapolis to, you know, follow the music business. I mean, I was already playing guitar. Like I started playing guitar when I was like 14 or something. Okay. Um, but the, the live music scene in Milwaukee was a little bit tough. There weren't necessarily a lot of venues to play. And it was, it was really hard. Like if you wanted to start a band, you kind of had to have everything. You had to have like your own PA because like you'd go to play with these, go and play at these places. And then like, yeah, sure, you can play here, but you got to bring a sound system. That was like really kind of prohibitive startup costs. So I moved to Minneapolis when I was 21 because they have a stronger and more established music scene. And also I was kind of chasing Janet Jackson. And uh, I always forget that. Tell us more. uh, (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Tell us more. I saw Janet Jackson on a TV show when I was nine. Like, we're the same age. Okay. Okay. So, um, like, the Jackson 5 had a TV special. And at some point, and you you can Google this and you can find it online. At some point in the TV special, you know, this little girl in an evening gown sashays out, like, throwing her hips around, even though she was nine years old and didn't really have any hips. And I was just like, Michael's got a little sister. And she's my age, like, that's my wife. And so, yeah, yeah. And so years come to pass. And it's like, and that was like part of my decision to go into show business because I figured that was the only way I was going to meet her. Years later, after I was already a guitar player and all of that, you know, she started making records in Minneapolis. And when I decided to leave Milwaukee, it's like, I wanted to move to New York, but it seemed like a big leap. Chicago was only a couple of hours away, but I've never been attracted to Chicago. So I was like, hey, I moved to Minneapolis. I could meet Prince and maybe meet Janet Jackson and blah, blah, blah. So I moved to Minneapolis and I lived there for six years. And yes, I did meet Janet Jackson, did not meet Prince. Well, at least not at that time. I met Prince later. So how was it meeting Janet? It was good. Uh, it was it was good. It was actually good. I, I got to play on, on one of her records. That was like my first big recording oh. session. Which one? The album was called Janet. It's like a sepia-toned album. Yeah, I know that album. And the song is called What'll I Do? It was before I was Binky Griptide. I used my legal name of Frank Stribling. Oh, yeah, I know that name too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I love that yeah. song. In case, you ever want to, in case you ever want to send me a check, Binky does not have a bank account. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I read the story about how you got your name, too, and I was like, that's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, meeting Janet was, was good. And um, got to interact with her a little bit. We were both married to other people at the time. So, womp, womp. Uh-huh. 
Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like my Keanu Reeves story. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. So, so, so you get, but you got on that album, on that album. That's an incredible feat period, yeah. you know? Yeah. After, after being in Minneapolis for a little while, like I was working at a guitar shop and through that guitar shop, I met Jelly Bean Johnson, who is the drummer for the time. And he's also, he's a drummer, but he's also a guitar player. He's like kind of more passionate about guitar, like playing drums is his job, but playing guitar is oh, his wow. passion. And so I, like, I sold him a guitar and then we struck up a friendship when it was time for her to come to come back to Minneapolis and make her. Her, her you know next record he asked me to play on it and it was cool that's a good friend yeah. that's yeah. nice mm-hmm. and the time i mean you know they were a yeah. thing too yeah yeah not too, not too shabby so yeah. how just out of curiosity like how did you wind up meeting all these how do you meet like i'm sure there's eventually going to be you know people listening to this going how does how does how do you get to meet those people that you can make that happen was it just a special period of time or did you like know where to go was it just studio driven how did that work well at that time i was i was working at a um at a large musical instrument store um soon to be bankrupt i was really shy in my normal life but i found that it was really easy for me to talk about guitarists and that made me a really good guitar salesman because i mean you know I was just like, I, yeah, yeah, I had, I had the gift. And so anyway, so while I was there, I, like I became like whatever, like the head of the guitar department and I worked a lot of hours. And because it was a major store, I met a lot of like people Lots coming in for their supplies or whatever. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I sold guitars to Mick Mars from Motley Crue, you know, mm-hmm. when they were on tour, like stuff like that. But yeah, it's like I, I met Jelly Bean from the time there. Um, I met Jesse Johnson from the time there, just working in the store and just selling him guitars. Um, mm-hmm. Another Minneapolis legend named Willie Murphy sold him a guitar, sold him an amp, and then I wound up being the guitar player in his band for years. So then you were like, okay, enough of Minneapolis. I'm going to go to New York. Yeah, one of the one of the rules in the Minneapolis music business at that time, you know, certainly in the '90s, and but definitely during the time that I was there, it's like if you stay in Minneapolis long enough and you're in the music business, you will work for Prince. You know, because he was he was just the big fish. I sort of got to that point where that would have been like the next thing I'm on the horizon. Yeah, I decided that I didn't want to work for Prince because I just heard too many stories, and so that was I was just like, yeah, it's like it's time to leave. If that's the only next thing I can go to. It was just better to go to a different town. So you didn't meet him then? I didn't you meet him later. then. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly had been in the same room with him like multiple mm-hmm. times because, you know, he... Cause he, you know, he used to hang out. There was a, there was a band that had a regular Monday and Tuesday night gig. And they were like, you know, sort of like the top, some of the top players in Minneapolis on the scene. And he would frequent that club and actually would recruit band members from that club, from, and from that scene. So it's like, it's, you know, sometimes you're pulling up to the bar and you say, oh, there's that big fat yellow BMW. It's like Prince is here. And it's like, it's, it just, it was not uncommon to see him just like hanging out in the back of the bar just like watching every once in a while he would jump on stage although i did tend to miss him on the on the nights when he would jump on stage but also while i lived there he opened his own club called glam slam and like i've seen some of his club shows when i lived in minneapolis and some of the private parties at at paisley park and it's just like yeah that was just part of the landscape of living in minneapolis yeah. at that. so you were 21 when you moved there how long were yeah. you there uh, about six years i've left like in uh, no that doesn't add up i guess i was if I left in 96, that would have made me 30. So maybe I was 20. I don't know. I was there for like somewhere between <laughs> six and eight years. Okay. That's about right. Did you feel like there was like, I'm just out of curiosity, like when you were growing up in, you know, between Milwaukee and Minneapolis, were there like 
music besides obviously Janet Jackson and Prince, mm-hmm. but like, were there music pieces that like inspired you? Was there like a particular sound that you were like, oh, once you picked up the guitar at 14, you were like, oh my God, this is like the kind of lane I like, or were you just like open-minded to everything? Well, I always liked my earliest, like true favorite band was Funkadelic. Choice. You know, that just got me at a really, really young age, like definitely by the time I was seven. Cause obviously like, you That's know, very young. I, like I was born in 1966. So Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up with like 70s music, like in real mm-hmm. time. Like it, it's not nostalgia for me. Like that was like, that was really my music yeah. from the time, of whatever, if I was five in 1971, you know? And I think probably the first band, the first concert I ever saw was probably the Jackson 5. The first record that really, really turned me on was Cosmic Slop by Funkadelic, which I believe came out in 74. So that would have made me like eight years old. And um, mm, wow. And so, and because I had older brothers, you know, I like I became aware of Bootsy Collins as a as a musician and as a as a person and a character and just as a star in his own right. And so mm-hmm. he was really he was like my first true musical idol. God, that's great. I just, that's a- I just wanted to be like Bootsy. Like I really I wanted to be a bass player. And more importantly, I did not want to be a person that worked in an office behind a desk nine to five every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All of those things kind of came together, and I was just like. Mm. No, I'm going to be a musician. And, you know, yeah. it, from the time that I decided till the time I got my first instrument was a long, long wait. Really? Wait, that's yeah. crazy. How long? I mean, a good like five, six years. Like I didn't really get my first instrument until I was 14, 13 or 14. How did you know that you were any good at it? I had like little clues along the way. I, like I could just tell that I had an aptitude for music. I remember mm-hmm. one time in kindergarten, like, you know, tell this to kids like back in the day, there used to be music classes, public school. Yeah. I remember one day in kindergarten, there was just like a, a pair of bongos, whatever. And it's like, I just like was able to just like pick up the bongos and like play the bongos and like keep mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually mm-hmm. when I was, when I was younger, like my, one of my older sisters had a guitar, an acoustic guitar, um, but it was like a, like a classical with a big, huge neck. It was too big for me to even pretend mm-hmm. to play it, but I would just use the guitar as a drum because it was a hollow body guitar and it had a nice sound when you, you know, sort of hit it. And I could, I knew that I could hit it in different places and get different sounds. So I was, you know, I was already sort of like using the guitar as a percussion instrument. And so one day in school, I got my hands on the bongos and I just like started ripping it up on the bongos. Not like I was like a virtuoso percussionist at that age, but I was just like, like, this is a thing I can figure out. And also like I had sort of discovered that like I could harmonize things like if I could like listen to some pop tune and I could like sing along with it and just like find the harmonies that would that would complement the notes that the lead singer was singing. And yeah. so, yeah, all that just... All of that combined with my desire to not work a job. You know, I was just like, I can figure this out. Like, this is within my reach. Along the way, if you think about like when you were, you know, kind of making your decision to do guitar versus bass and stuff. I mean, at what point did you actually pick up the, you said 14 for guitar. Was it the same for, like, did you just bypass bass then? You just went straight to guitar? My brother got me a bass, but then, like, nobody was giving me lessons. And I was sort of, like, I would just hang on to it. And I would just, like, sit with it and play with it like a toy. But, like, I didn't I didn't know how to tune it. I didn't know how to whatever. And, like, I, I really was kind of waiting for somebody to show me how to do it. And then, then it came up missing. I think I had the same bass stolen twice. The first time it got stolen out of my house by 
a family member that had, you know, drug issues. Then I found it and got it back. It's a long story. But anyway, to, to, <laughs> to give you the shorter version of the story, I switched back and forth from bass to guitar and then back to bass yeah. and ultimately back to guitar. And one of the reasons was just with like being so obsessed with Bootsy, I was also intimidated by him. I was like, well, I'm, I'm never going to be the best bass player in the world. He's already the best bass player in the world. So I might as well just switch to guitar. So then you committed at 14 to guitar. Yeah. Do you think that music was like the primary force in your life when you were growing up then? Or were there other things like getting your attention? Uh, yeah, that was pretty much it as far as like, you know, okay. hopes and dreams go. Like I figured like that was yeah. my ticket out of the show or whatever. Yeah, I never like dreamed of sports. I was never really just not a sporty kid like that. I always like to ask the question, like, what was your first memory with music? And then, like, what was your, like, official moment when it became your career? And to just kind of get perspective on how long it takes for you to, you know, really do that. And in your case, it's so unique because obviously there's a lot of things. Do you feel like your first memory with music was the Janet Jackson component at nine? Or do you think there was even like maybe earlier things because of music, like the, like the, you said, 1971, having sounds and stuff at five. Like, would that be a thing that you were like, what's this? Yes, it's, it's, there's a lot of things I could name it. I guess, you know, like, yeah, seeing, seeing the Jackson 5 at, at, you know, the age of five or six. Um, well, like, like in Milwaukee, they, um, there's a festival, a music festival, a very long-standing. Some people would even say, especially if you ask anybody in Milwaukee, they'll tell you that it's the mother of American music festivals. It's called Summerfest. Oh, and, we, like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, and like that's where I saw the Jackson yeah. 5 when I was a child. Oh, uh, wow. That's amazing. And, yeah, and it's like, okay. it's, I mean... I think it probably started in 68. And uh, so that, that was just That's like a right. summer, that was just a tradition. It was like 11 day festival. Um, it's huge. Still going strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually, you know, got to play there with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings a couple of times. So, yeah, maybe that's like some of my earliest memories. But like um, I just, you know, looked at how musicians were living and I looked at like the television representations of what like, you know, whatever, like how the dads on all the TV shows were living, just like going to these offices and coming home beat. I'm just like, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're hip fast. You're, you're way smarter than me. I was like, give me a corporate job. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. When when you think of an inspiration for your current music right now, were any of the people who like as Bootsy still an inspiration for you? Do you think that's like something you still have like a vibe for? Because I know you really like funk and soul too. So obviously soul, but funk too. Yeah, it's definitely still. I mean, my Amazing. taste really haven't changed much. Like my 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 three favorite earliest songs would be. Um, I remember the, the song like Love is Blue. Remember that? Blue, blue, my love is blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like Paul Murriott or something. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah. Uh, and also um, Sugar, Sugar by the Archies. <gasps> That's a good song. And like Inagata da Vida. Because <laughs> like one of, one of my older siblings had that record. I think probably my sister. And she was... Um, but like, and and so it's like between like the sweetness of the melody and then the poppiness of Sugar Sugar and then like the heaviness of Inagata De Vida, like my tastes haven't changed. I still like sappy melodies. I still like poppy hooks and I still like heavy guitars and rhythm section. That's amazing. That yeah. might have just blown my mind. That's amazing. Mission accomplished. I, I, that synthesis is so perfect. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. okay, what's up? Oh, yeah. 
for better or worse, I'm still the same person I've always been. That's cool. See, and that's that's when you know you're doing the right thing because you don't have to like modify who you are to just be successful as you know what you do. That's good. Kudos to you. Okay, now that you've gone through all those cities, like, do you have do you like like do you have a favorite city you like to play in? No, because once you're on stage, they're kind of all the same. To be honest, it doesn't matter. Um, That's fun. Yeah, yeah. There's like there's some places where like when you're there walking around or just like you know looking at the people i.e women uh you think like oh yeah i could i I wouldn't mind living here or actually like architecture really grabs me architecture (laughs) and climate and so there's there's definitely some cities that i'm attracted to more than others even and even just recently i've been thinking about moving but like it's hard to think it's hard to imagine myself not living in new york at this point Uh, I thought the same thing too, but you'd be surprised, you know. It, oh, sure, yeah. I mean, like Barcelona would be you know. lovely. It's like I would love to move to Oof. Barcelona. Oh, I can't remember the name of my favorite city in Portugal. What's, but you know, manifest. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I get it. Is it Lisbon, Lisboa? Lis- Lisboa? Yeah, of course, Lisbon. And, <laughs> and there's also there's still like great cities in America where I'd love to live, but mm-hmm. still, it's it's Brooklyn for now and for yeah, here. Future. When did you actually start your career was music earning? What do you remember? What, t- like, who were you working? Like, was it like the Janet Jackson thing? Obviously, you couldn't have just started there. What was the start? No, point? Didn't start like, there. Like, I was um, in, like, when I was in Milwaukee, I was playing in bars. Okay. But, but so you were young. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, in my like late 20s. I should, I'm sorry, like okay. late teens and early 20s. Like, but still, you know, just like I had a job and I was playing on the weekends. Um, Got it. Okay. But um, there was a period in the in the Minneapolis years where I was just only playing music, um, and I wasn't making much money at it. But I also had a low overhead life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Designed. No, and actually, no, that's not true. I did still have a bar job after a few years in New York, and and actually, particularly after I got with Antibalas and. Well, first it was the Soul Providers, then Antibalas, and then the Dap Kings. Right. That's what led to like just being musician only. Career musician. Okay, yeah. so now you moved to New York. You moved to New York and you're very you're like you're you're you knew people there obviously. You didn't just no, move I, there. No, yeah, I did just move. Like, I'm my oldest I'm the youngest of seven and um <laughs> I, I moved in with my oldest sister. Uh, I guess it's probably like 14 years spread between us. And she lived in Hackensack, New Jersey. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I moved in. I slept on her floor for a little while until I got a foothold into the city. I was playing on the blues scene in Minneapolis. And this is like, you know, late 80s. Like Steve Ray Vaughan was big and just like that whole scene. I was really into Steve Ray Vaughan and just being that type of guitar player. But I got bored with that scene and I just like, and I got bored with like my life. I had like a whole bunch of other stuff, that, a bunch of changes that I don't need to go into. But I just blew it. I was like, I needed a change. And I actually took, I just was like, I'm going to stop playing guitar. Because I was just like, I was a bit of a, to me, like, I think I was a wanker because I was just all about guitar solos. And I just got bored with hearing myself take the same guitar solo on every song. I moved to New York to not be a musician, but just to be a New Yorker. And I literally didn't touch a guitar for two years. And I just, you know, got a job at a restaurant. I was like, started bar. Well, I did several jobs, but I eventually wound up bartending. And bartending is pretty, like, you can support yourself, like, fairly decently yeah. if you get a decent job. And uh, so I did that for a little while. And then after a couple of years, I got started getting the itch again. But I wanted to come back different. I didn't want to join a blues band and just be a soloist. Like, I just really wanted to work on my rhythm chops and just mm-hmm. play rhythm because I Because when you're, when you're a soloist, when you're that kind of wanker guitar player, you just attract other wanker guitar players. 
And like, I, I just wanted to play for party people. I wanted to play for people that were dancing. Right about that time where I decided I wanted to like get back into playing, I met Gabriel Roth from, mm-hmm. at that time he had, he was, he had this, well, we, we met through, through a mutual friend. I feel like I'm just rambling on, but you know, you can. No, go for it. I'm fascinated. But, but uh, yeah, so we, I met Gabe through a mutual friend who subsequently became his first wife. She introduced us. She's like, oh, hey, you're a guitar player. Come meet my new boyfriend. He's a bass player. And this happened in a, in a, in a club where we like, you know, there was like a funk night, the uh, DJ was playing. And so anyway, we sat down, we started talking and he was, he was talking about how he was, yeah, he was looking for a guitar player for this project he was working on, but it was like, they were doing like James Brown inspired funk. And it's hard to find a guitar player because guitar players just want to be wankers. And there's like, nobody wants to just keep it in their pocket. And I was just like, yeah, that's like, that's exactly where I'm at. It's like, I used to be that, but like, now I just want to. You know, that's way more interesting. Hold it down. Yeah, instead of instead of just going You know, it's like I'm j i am I just got tired of being that guy. Mm. And so anyway, we we started talking and we like clicked and we were just on the same level. So he invited me to come down and meet his uh his his musical partner, uh, and also his label partner, Philip was a drummer. Gabe is a bass player. And so, you know, you put a guitar player there and you got a band. So yeah, he invited me to come down to their studio and, and play with them. And yeah, he, he counted off like give it up and turn it loose. Right? And we're just like And so uh, what I what I found out like what I found out later was their 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 goal was like okay we're gonna we're gonna play give it up to turn it loose and see how long it takes for him to like start soloing. Twenty minutes later, still going, you know, but I did not do it. Like, like I could keep at this all night. <laughs> because I mean, there's yeah. only three of us. If I stop playing rhythm to go do a wanky solo, then the whole bottom, the whole, then it's like yeah, everything falls. Apart. So it's like, no, obviously I'm not going to start. You know. So anyway, and and so we we determined that we were all on the same page, and then that's how I joined the Soul Providers. And at that time, uh, he was working on this Lee Fields record. Let's, yeah. Let's get a groove on. Be uh, lovely. Yeah, yeah, Lee's great. Still, he's a legend, and it's still mm-hmm. still going. And any of you out there that aren't familiar with Lee Fields, you should be. Yeah, please. I just texted him before the show. I was like, Binky's going to be on tonight. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's tune in. I, you know, if you don't know who Lee Fields is, educate yourself because he's the cream of the crop. You know, it does it's just everything. He's everything. Definitely. I don't know so if you know this, but he's he sang at Ruby's wedding. Oh really? Yeah, with the Soulonics as a backing band, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh nice, uh, Ruby Bell. Yeah, but anyway, okay. So you're so you get brought into the Soul Providers, and you guys are literally providing the Soul for yeah, yeah. Fields. Yeah. So yeah. So shortly after I met Gabe, I played on two songs on that album, which they just reissued. It was it was I guess it was you know it was originally issued on Desco Records. Um, Desco Records folded. Um, Gabe and his you know business partner had a had a split, and then that led Gabe to go on and form Daptone Records. But in the interim, we started you know, did those two songs with for that LP. Mm-hmm. We did a few shows with Lee, but we couldn't. We didn't really do any proper tours. It was for me like my first trip to England. We we went to England to do a, a fairly big show over there, and that was that was a big thrill and a big step ahead. And um, oh, and go back going back to one of your previous questions. When you're filling out customs forms to to go to another country, they ask yeah. you your profession, and like I felt. Oh. odd about it but I really had no choice like when I'm a, like I'm a musician now 
you know, like I, I had to put musician in that box. And I was like, hmm. And I didn't, I didn't really feel like I felt like a fraud, but like even that came back to me years later because with all the traveling that we did every time, it's like, you got to figure that out fill that out like you know yeah. your profession it's like and after like four or five times i was like okay i'm a musician now well yeah. at least it's a dawn of reckoning that you can you can point back to you're like okay i really was a musician <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i was literally getting on a plane flying six hours to go to another country and get mm. paid 14 dollars to play my guitar <laughs> it's technically no longer imposter syndrome <laughs> it's like real. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. It matters. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So you, so you go, you do all this stuff with Lee. Yeah. Well, with the soul providers and you get yeah. to the byproducts, you get to work with Lee. Were there other artists at the time that you were working with besides Lee? Was it, how did, how did Sharon come into the picture? I know the answer to this. <clears throat> yes. Well, um, to, to the strict chronology of events would be shortly after I started with the soul providers. Um, one of the one of the sax players, uh, Martin Perna, yeah, and he mentions like, and you know, saying, hey, we have this other like side project, you know, and like I, I knew nothing about Fela, but then they started educating me about Fela. It's like we have this other side project called Antibalas, and you know, you should come down and hang out with that, and. Um, so I went to my first Antibalas gig and I actually I played percussion. I played the clave, which is like two two thick two thick sticks. So you sounds easy, but like this muscle right here. This see that? Yeah. That yeah. there? This one. Yeah. It burns. It burns. Like you try doing that for forty five minutes and like it's Oof. It's a workout, but um, but so I I joined Antibalas in the percussion section. Um, eventually, moved you know quickly after a couple of gigs. You know I became the second guitar player, and then um, and then at some point, and Gabe was Gabe was also the bass player. Like, and at that point, the the. The, the, there was very little difference between the soul providers and Antibalas. It was basically I was the same. Say. Yeah, it's pretty much the okay. same band or name. Um, and then at some point, Gabe um, had to leave town. He had to miss a gig. So I switched over to bass because there were, we had two guitar players. So instead of trying to find some stranger and teach them all the songs, I was just like, well, what, I can just play bass. So I switched to bass. And then when Gabe came back, he switched to guitar. So then, so anyway, so then, so then Antibalas is rolling. Um, and so in both bands are like just taking local gigs. Um, but then now Sharon came into the picture originally as a back sorry that was still like the 90s then right just so i'm clear on the time yeah this was this is probably like 98 98 that's what i would think and then sharon came in you said as a background singer yeah because um and and this was i wasn't necessarily present for this I, like i probably came aboard like shortly after this all happened but um mm. um one of the sax players that gabe was working with um you know at some point like you know Gabe needed a backup singer and this guy the sax player Joe is like hey my girlfriend's a singer I could call her and that's Sharon Jones uh, and so so Sharon came in and also like sang a sang back up on a couple of tunes on that Lee Fields record um, and then I think even like they like gave they came up with like some impromptu jam and she uh recorded vocals for that i think that became a 45 called the landlord um 
And like I said, this was this was like shortly before I came aboard. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so so we did a few gigs with Lee Fields, but Lee had his own career going. Um, yeah. And he had sort of like higher requirements than we did as far as like, you know, the amount of pay that he would expect. Like, you know, he, you know, we did that trip to England, but like, he's like, I need to get this much. Like I need to bring my wife. Yeah. I need to, you know, it's like, he's like a grown ass man that already had his own shit. Yeah. Around. So it's like, I'm going to be fucking around with you little kids. I, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's gotta be like this. He's got like, he's got house payments. He's got kids to support, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so we didn't get to do as many gigs with Lee as we might have wanted to. But then Sharon kind of had less going on. She's like, Sharon was just like down for whatever. Nice. So Gabe being the ambitious young man that he is, he's just like, well, he just decided to follow that track because cause with with Sharon, you know, the whole operation just had lower overhead and, mm. and sort of higher enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, that's how that happened. You know, like there was no like big break or anything. It's not that Lee wasn't into it, but he just, you know, yeah. he just had yeah, higher yeah. yeah, he's very specific. I, even still today, he's very specific. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a businessman and, <laughs> and an artist and, and, and just an all around great dude. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, he's, he's lovely. We love him. So, okay. So you're, so Sharon's, Sharon's down, she's into it. And you guys start doing yeah. recording with her. Yes. For Daptone. Yeah. Yeah, um, but actually, no. Yeah. The Dap Kings. It was it was the sole providers with her. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So like all of these things, like uh, as far as like Desco Records falling apart, um, and also you know Lee kind of you know not being so available. Like they just were all sort of happening um, at the same time. And um, so when Desco fell apart. Um, Gabe was just like, okay, I got to keep going. You know, he had like, you know, tons of, you know, bills, NYU loans and all of that. Um, it's not a cheap school. Um, I went to NYU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been there multiple times, but that's about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, so, he, and he had all these songs. He's like, you know, he's, he's a pretty prolific writer. And, you know, he won't sing them himself, but he, you know, he met Sharon and Sharon was just like down. You know, Sharon had spent so many years doing wedding bands and whatnot. She wanted to do an original material. Even if she didn't write it, at least she's still singing an original song that was written for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that led to the first um, Sharon sure. Jones and the Dap Kings record. Mm-hmm. And oh, you're and a part point, of that. What's that? And you were a part of that. Yes. Yeah. At that point, we were, you know, we were already a band. You know, it's like because we we done, you know, sporadic soul providers gigs. We never did a soul providers tour. I mean, not a proper tour. I guess we did do a, a you know, we went to England for multiple dates, like sort of like seven or eight shows or something like that a couple of times but you know we didn't like we didn't do any american touring or anything like that okay um so how did how did you come up how did you go from the soul providers i know and i know the ad offshoot was the anti uh antibolus but like yeah. i'm presuming that the soul providers to the dap kings was really the transformation at that point well yeah it's like uh like with um with after the you know the dissolution of of desco records you know gabe was like you know all new stuff and and, and mind you this is all his baby his brainchild you know like people mm. 
tend to think or assume that I'm the band leader or that I was the band leader. And that's not the case. I mean, I was an MC, which gave me a lot of, you know, prominence yeah. in the stage show. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of input into the stage show. But as far as, you know, making the records and being a partner in the label and all of that, that's like all like, you know. Yeah, that's like, all, yeah, Gabe, okay. that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, the, but the relationship you have with artists to be able to do musical interpretation for them, I think is, you know, that's a piece of this too, because they don't just go, you know, oh, okay, whatever, you know, they have to be drawn to a sound. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, so, uh, oh yeah. So anyway, so that all happened. Yeah. And so I guess after Desco broke up, he, from whatever, like, you know, probably drank a bunch of whiskey and just like, it shall be called Daptone, you know? And he came up with the name Daptone Records and he came up with the name, the Dap Kings. And I was just like, huh? Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, whatever. Um, and whatever. So it became Sharon. So you were, just, you were around for the whole experience and just was like, yep, sure. Yep. Sure. Everybody sounds like everybody was just like, yeah, I'm good. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And mind you, at this point in my life, it's like, I would sort of been through a bunch of periods of like trying to make it. Um, and sort of like even, you know, multiple times playing in bands that I wasn't necessarily in love with, but just because, Hey, it was just an opportunity to play and, and also an opportunity to make, you know, 50 bucks and get free drinks. Um, but by the time I moved to New York and took my little hiatus and then came back to it, I decided that I didn't want to play in, in any bands that I didn't like. And yeah, smart. so with, with doing all this stuff, I was just like, I didn't have any dreams of making it. Like I, I was just like, mm -hmm. I honestly, I was just like, we were so far away from the pop mm -hmm. trends of the moment. I was like convinced that it was a, there's like, there's no way we're going to make it like, I, but that was right. never an issue. I wasn't in it to make it. I was in it to actually have fun. And, um, and that's the lesson right. kids You just have to have fun first. And if you, if it's True fun, that. If, if it's fun, then you can keep doing it long enough to make it. That's, you know, I wish somebody had told me that earlier, but mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. But anyway, that's what happened. That's amazing. And that's really great advice. Just stay with it and make sure you're having fun. If you're not having fun, it's just too much work. You can't yeah. keep it up. You yeah, can't you keep can. it up. You can't care that, you know, if you don't care, it's just so much work. Yeah. Yeah. Because like what, what, what your average kid doesn't know is that it takes 10 years to be an overnight sensation. And, and like, you, it's, if, if, if you're going to keep doing that for 10 years before you get that first big break, then yeah. there's got to be something in it. Like you should like the people that you're doing it with. You should like the music that you're playing and there should yeah. be something, you know, something driving you other than just the, the dream of winning the lottery. Yeah. Agreed. I totally agree. So, okay. So Sharon puts out her first album. You guys are all on it. Yeah. And it blows up. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but, um, but it, okay. I'm like, what happens? Tell me. Uh, it just gave us enough um, encouragement to keep going. It did what like did strike that, a chord. Was it the Hundred Days one? Is that the first album? Oh no, no, the first one is Dap Dippin' with Sharon. Jones. Oh, okay. So I was thinking because Hundred Days was like a banger album. Yeah, so. I, I want to say okay. that was the third one. Really? Wow. Okay. Wow. 
Uh, and like I said before, it's like I'm like chronology is not my thing. Yeah, I know um, you were. Yeah, we've already caveat. So chronology is not his thing. Like back there. <laughs> yeah, um, it's in the past. Okay, so, so Sharon's Sharon's doing well, but not she's not like. Phew. Right. But you're well, you know, but what um what Gabe and um and now his this new partner Daptone is Neil Sugarman, and what they knew, and which you know I was just learning about at that time is that there's this community of DJs like and and it's hard to imagine it now but like vinyl sales were at an all-time low it's like it was really sort of like the peak of CD it's very much in the CD era and like you know but there there's like a community of DJs largely DJs and also record collectors that was sort of keeping vinyl alive and and particularly in Britain um, and other parts of Europe but there's a strong funk scene in England. And um, so here we were, like a new band doing old music and releasing it on vinyl. Like DJs and record collectors got very, very interested. And they yeah. started, you know, it's like they were doing our promo for us. That's and cool. like more, That's more than you. once. Yeah, more than once someone would come across our record and be absolutely convinced that it was an old record. Yeah. And they're like, no, that just came out. That band is still alive. And and so from the from the very start when we started going to England, we had like really enthusiastic crowds because you had all these younger people. And mind you, like I was like whatever in my early middle thirties. Um, Sharon was like almost exactly ten years older than me. But we're playing to all these we're playing to like all these kids in their twenties that are just like really excited to be hearing this type of That's music great. live. Yeah. Especially played by actual Americans and, you know, a couple of yeah. us were actually black even. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. They must've just been so into it. Yeah. So, how, so that, how long did you, how long were you guys working together? Bef- like, so because of the label, I know you did other things too. So it wasn't yeah. like you were just in a band when you were, you were the, you were like helping to bring the production to life, right? Um, yeah, I mean, like, you were know, you in bands? Record. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, Gabe did, you know, uh, the bulk of the arranging. You know, we had sort of massaged it a little bit to, you know, make it work. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like it was largely on him. So, how did you guys get introduced to Amy then? Um, Mark Ronson again is a DJ and a vinyl collector. And uh, and he just, you know, got to know us through our records. I think the story that I heard was um, Kanye West, you know, in his early days, he sampled one of our songs for a um, for a mixtape that he did. Not not on a, not a, not a, not an officially released record, but like some mixtape with. I don't know which rapper, Rhyme Fest or something, but he just like sampled a little snippet of um, um, oh, a song called The Dap Dip. If you listen to the song The Dap Dip, it starts off with uh, me saying like, oh, I don't know, it starts off with me and Sharon talking. And Sharon says, it's a brand new thing. And so they sampled her saying, it's a brand new, brand new, brand new. And this sample is like going throughout the, throughout the um. song. And so uh, when they went to do the legal stuff that they have to do for samples. Licensing, yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they're going, I mean, they just like found this 45 in some record store. 
and just, as I said, assume that it was an old record. Right, but, that they were no longer around. Right. So then when they started trying to license it, they found out, like, not only is this a current band, but, like, they're right across the river in Brooklyn. <laughs> so, so that led, and this would be, like, you know, 06 or 07, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, so then Mark started hiring the horn section um, to work on some of his productions. He was... Um, it was like probably right when he was starting to do his solo record version, mm-hmm. um, which I probably have on the other side of the room somewhere. Um, and yeah, so he started hiring the horn section for things here and there. Then he started hiring the rhythm section. Um, you know, the whole band played on a couple of songs on his on the version record. Um, mm-hmm. And then while he was in the middle of doing his record, he got hooked up with Amy to do her record. And um, it just it was just like a, I don't know, is that what they call a perfect storm where like all these things come That's together? And they, yeah, it was just like all the right stuff at the right time where, you know, she was, you know, he was already working on this sound and then she was into her like 60s girl group stuff. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, somebody at Universal connected them and then, you know, they started hanging out and, and it, it all happened really quick. Um, yeah. At least as, as far as I know it, like I don't know how long he was working with her, but by mm. the time they, by the time we got involved, um, we did like six songs in four days, and it, wow. like, it changed everything. Six songs in four days. Do you remember yeah. what the songs were? Um, I remember what the songs were. I don't necessarily remember the order. I remember. That's uh, okay. The, I, I was just looking. I was just reading something the other day. Somebody had mentioned what the first song was. But anyway, like um, basically all of the hits on the record. Um, <laughs> You're like all the hits. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and it's like, and I, I like the other songs on the record as well. Like Salam Remy was the other producer, and he mm. did a great job. And, and Amy did a great job of writing all of them. Um, and and it's it's amazing that like Salam songs and and Ronson songs can like sit next to each other really well and, and they yeah. make still sounds like one record. But we did rehab, you know, I'm no good, back to black. Um, he can only hold her. Um, I'm spacing on the other two. Uh, I, Was it I'm, Valerie? Yeah, we Valerie? Valerie. No, Valerie's not on that record. I have, yeah. It's not, I was going to say, because I don't think it's on that record. Hold on, I no. have it here. Um, I can tell you a Valerie story also. Um, okay, it's what? Rehab, You Know I'm No Good, Me and Mr. Jones, Just Friends, Back to Black, Love is a Losing Game, Love Tears Dry on Their Own. Love is a Losing Game. Dry on Their Own. Yeah, Tears Dry on Their Own, Wake Up Alone, Some Unholy War, He Can Only Hold Her, and Addicted. Yeah. If you haven't um, heard this album, shame on you. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's easier to name the ones that we didn't do. We uh, we did not do, did not do addicted, did not right. do, did not do Miss Me and Mr. Jones, did not do Someone Holy War. Okay. Damn That's it! Now I just losing game. So you did. So you did rehab. You know I'm no good. Back to Black, Love is a Losing Game, mm-hmm. Wake Up Alone, 
and yeah. he can only hold her. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, by him. Um, I think he can only hold her was the last one we did. Um, mm. You know, I'm no good. I believe was the first one we did. Like the first day we okay. probably did. Oh, I'm no good. Um, we did rehab maybe on the first day. Um, so did so did you like know her before you went into the studio, or is it like one of those sessions where you just get you just get put in the room and you're like, okay, we're gonna figure this out. She wasn't even there. We didn't we didn't meet her until months later. Oh wow! So you just put it together and then she sang to it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because Mark was there and he was he was guiding it. Like he came in the first day with like you know he knew all the chord charts. Well, he had a he had the CD like demos of her um, singing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know we never you know we didn't know what she looked like. Had met, never met her, never talked to her or whatever. Um, but he had a CD of of the demos of the songs, and so we just learned the songs by ear. You know, wrote down our own little charts. And then mm-hmm. the second day, uh, but it was it was kind of hard to like get the vibe for it. So on the second day. He brought back like one of those like digital like the 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 CDJ players where like you can mm-hmm. it has like a little thing on it where you can scratch mm-hmm. a CD just as if you were a DJ with a with a vinyl record. And so he had, yeah, and he had like acapellas of her singing, so he would like try to like play that in time with us while the band was recording, and it did help you know because it helped to like hear the song how someone how it was supposed yeah. to sound. Um, that's that's cool. Mm. Yeah, but um, but no, we we didn't meet her until like December of that year. Like I could, I mean, I, I imagine that we recorded those songs probably in the spring. Mm. Um, and um, and then the album came out in December, and then right when the album was released, she came to New York to do a showcase at Joe's Pub. And like, that was the first time we met her. And that's when she did Valerie. Okay, so, and that was, you played with her then, right, live? Yes, we did. Uh, yes, we did, but she, I mean, she she redid the vocals, but I think she did sing along with us. Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah. So you were oh, saying so, Valerie? Yeah, have you heard both versions of the song? I mean, I know if I have them on vinyl, so whatever I have on vinyl, I guess, yes. I'm terrible. Well, this is where uh, I'm like, I'm bad. Uh, the, the, well, like the, the, the first, uh, Valerie originally appeared on Mark's record on version. And it's okay, got like, so then yeah, and so he's got that. It's got that. Like, like Brits love Motown. Like, um, there's a, there's a big scene in in the north of England called Northern Soul. Um, they love Motown and Motown derivative stuff. And like, you can't hurry love. It's just like one of these beats. And so he um he came in and he played us this song by the Zutans. Um, and like we were not in love with the song at all and then he said like it's like yeah it's a great song I was like I don't like this version but I want you guys to do it like this kind of can't hurry love beat and we like we did it and we were like eh okay but like we were just like we were just like no we don't want to do that and and so we spent some time coming up with another vibe because like we were just at that point we were kind of really into soul music and so, um, yeah, it's like there's this this song that I had in my head that that, we, that was really popular amongst the guys in the band at that time. Um, 
what's it called? Got to get through to you, I think. Um, but it starts off like this. And I just kept sort of playing that until like the rest of the band kind of heard it. Like, yeah, yeah, we should go in that direction. But then we just wound up with this um, sort of 16th note soul beat for And um, so we did the whole song with that version. Um, where is it? And so, um, so we, and you know, yeah, it like took us like, I don't know, like an hour, hour and a half, and we got that version down. And then Mark's like, great, that's great. Just for me, can you just like go back and do the other version too and do the can't hurry love stuff? And they're like, yeah, okay, fine, Mark. And so we did that too. And um, he still put the fast version on his record. But every time we played it live, Amy preferred- That's the, the version I know. That's yeah. the version I know, yeah. So yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah I think that's everybody. the version everybody knows. <laughs> well, no. Actually, what was no. The, which one was the one that was like a hit? Like, because I feel like when when I he, I see the um, the the way that they word, there's a Valerie, and then there's like a I can't remember what the wording is afterwards. But I know that there were two versions of the song. I just didn't realize that yeah. one of them was on his album. Yeah. No, the fast version was the hit. The, mm, the slow version. The slow version wasn't officially released until um, until she died in the posthumous record. Okay, so maybe that's why I yeah I remember that one. Yeah, because of the first one. Well, sometimes I go out by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very staccato. Mm. Yeah, like that. But um, but you know, it's it's still both of those versions are Great better versions. than the original. If you ever hear the original, yeah. it's like you would never guess that that song was actually as cool as it is. I have to check that one out because I did realize that I I went, I was looking through all the credits recently and I was like, oh my God, that's not even there. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. It's like, and Mm -hmm. you'll be amazed and appalled. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Poor guys. Well, I'm just glad that it got to where it got because it probably has, it's been like an up, you know, it's one of those things that you put on and everybody just knows it. You know what I mean? It's oh, just like sure, a vibe. Yeah. It starts, starts a vibe. And it's kind of yeah. crazy to think that when did that release? You said like 2000, well, it must've been 2011 or 12 then, right? That second version. Uh, the second version. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, I can't remember what year she died. Um, 2011, I think she passed. Mm, yeah. Well, but then it would have been like at least a year. So maybe it just came out in 12 or 13. Maybe it was later. Yeah. But I do, I feel like it was like one of those, it feels like it's always been there. You know, it's just a, well, feels like a like staple. That, that was, if, if you, especially if you're looking at YouTube videos or whatever, that was the, that was the way it was performed live. Mm-hmm. Mm. But, um, but yeah, but the faster version was on Mark's record and, and on a lot of radio stations and iPods and such. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. If it's a pop, it's commercial. It's gotta it's gotta yeah. go there. Well and yeah. so how did so how long did you play with her live? Um, we just did the North American tours. Um mm-hmm. I guess like maybe like two tours of North America. Like we did like um 
and they were like short tours, just like you know, not not much. It was still like getting her established. Even though it's like obviously the record took off. Um, I believe you know she sold like fifty thousand in the first week, which is a pretty good debut for somebody um, that was like new to America. Mm. Um, yeah. but yeah, but it, I, I don't know. I feel like we. I mean, I could have it on my calendar somewhere, but like you did like maybe like not more than 15 shows in the first run. Like we did a promo tour, which included South by Southwest. Um, mm. the first oh time around. No. That must've been insane. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, I mean, it's like mellow, but also, I mean, South by is just always South, South. by. It's a, it's a shit fest. Yeah, it's like, the worst time in the in the year to go to a really great city. Yeah, for sure. It's never really yeah. the same during that time. So, what point did you? So, you worked? Did did you work on the second? You worked on the second out. Wait for Amy. When did Sharon come back into the picture? Oh well, I mean, never. Was she always there? Okay, she was always there. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we just like had like side gigs with Amy because um got it because okay. stuff came up and it's like it's not even like we were like you know, paid so much in money, but, um, but, you know, it was, it was good sort of like helped boost the profile of the band. We got, we got some trickle on publicity. Um, and so it, it helped, um, it helped, you know, more people learn about the band because it's like, you know, when her record came out, it was like such a new sound for so many people, you know, especially like industry insiders are like, what is this? Like, oh, this is Mark Ronson. Like, oh, how did you do that? And blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, thankfully, like they didn't bury us. Like we, we, you know, it was, it was made known that, you know, this is the Dap Kings as sound. sound Um, And so, I mean, I guess we might have delayed the release of um, maybe that was a hundred days. What year did hundred days come out? Um, oh, man, I do want to remember. Let me just take a look. I think that was around that same time. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think a hundred days did get slightly slightly delayed just so that we could make sure that we weren't competing with ourselves. And um, and yeah, by like by by going out with Amy and like. You know, we did a lot. We did like all the North American television. Um, it was great. You know, got to do Letterman. Uh, did Leno, um, and yeah, all the South by stuff. Um, so it it helped with the band. That's awesome. Um, oh, and, so I was going to ask if 2007 was when 100 Days came out. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And then um, then what was that? That must have been like before yeah yeah so amy's stuff came out in 2007 too is that possible is that right am i crazy yeah 2007 so that was a big year for soul really big year amazing and you were uh, touching both how crazy is that so this is why i was so excited it has to have been because i just looked unless unless spotify is wrong yeah no i'm looking at the uh no it was all six well, this is 07 and the other one, but yeah, it's about the same time. Okay. Well, yeah, but like, yeah, technically it came out at the end of 06, but like it's, it, you know, did all, most of its work in 07. Hmm. I, th- I do believe, but you know, I'm looking at. Yeah, I think 07 was the good year. Yeah. That <laughs> was a crazy yeah. year. But yeah, I remember that being like, I just everything about it. In fact, I actually, well, it's, it's, I saw Sharon, I saw you guys at the, at, in Austin 
it must have been South by Southwest, but it had to have been like the like fifteenth. Is it possible? Like later, yeah. When was it? Must have been like. No, actually, no, we were there the same year. Oh really? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I mean, because at that point, it's like Amy subsidized our trip, so it's like we. We we did um we were there the same. I never saw Amy. It was Sharon that I saw. I didn't. I've never seen Amy live. So yeah. Uh, I remember that, we did. Amy subsidized the Sharon trip. Yeah, it's like because like yeah because like I mean if she was paying for the whole band to go down there, it's like we only right. got to buy one. May as well do other gigs. Yeah, Amazing. but um, but then um, we did one one gig of ours where Amy showed up, but like she didn't. I mean, she was just hanging out. She didn't get up and sing or anything. Mm. It's always good. I mean, was was it like a, it was obviously, was it a a time where you think back fondly or is it just like blurry? No, it was was definitely, it was good. Like it was interesting to see um, what the major label world was like. Um, I mean, she didn't have a lot of handlers or hangers on, but like it would definitely be like, you know, record company people around and, and, you know, Mm. they can do stuff. And I did, I did a lot of media with her. Um, Because you played with her. Yeah, and also like you know, it's like it was just because they they were they were really keen on doing a lot of um, duo things with just Amy and the acoustic guitar, um, and 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 there's like for a couple of reasons like you know she kind of had an affinity for me um, because the the musical mind you like she had already been on on tour for years in England and, and you know, just Europe. And the the MD of her, you know, normal road bands uh, was also like a middle-aged, bald, black dude. Uh, his name, name, you know, we eventually met Dale Davis and he's a great guy and, you know, and, you know, we collaborated on, on stuff where like, like we, we did a half and half band. Actually, when we played at the MTV Music Awards, that was like half British and half Dap Kings. And, uh, and like, you know, one of the few times, like, me and Dale were both on stage, um, and it was on TV. So, because, but, like, m- many times, like, people see pictures of him in the background with Amy, and they think it's me. It's like, no, it's a yeah. different black dude. Another, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what was I going to say? But, yeah, it was a fun, oh, yeah, so I got to do a lot of, um, those, like, promo gigs with her, just with the acoustic guitar. She was also really amused by my name. Um, your name is amazing. We know it's not really your name, but we love it. <laughs> you know, my name is whatever I tell you, Jules. Oh, Jules is your last name. See, but last name. That's okay. Everybody calls me that anyway. Nobody yeah. ever can say my first name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally works. But um, but yeah, it's like yeah. so when her when her record she's like Binky, Binky. No, how did you say your name? Is, this, this is this is from Mark Ronson. It's like she gets the the cd or whatever and she's looking at the credits and she goes to mark it's like you mean to tell me somebody named binky griptite played on my record and so like she already kind of liked me before we ever met <laughs> um, so it's a good thing it wasn't negative <laughs> yeah yeah but, but like uh, what is this yeah, name so, yeah it was like ridiculous but um but we got to hang out a little bit you know just doing those duo gigs and uh yeah. you know she was just pretty casual normal little 24 year old young lady mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i gotta tell you if i could go back to any time in music it probably like between you know that era just from like the transformation of soul music having a you know like a 
a shot in the arm of, like you said, these young people, you know, kind of coming around and everything sort of resurgence. Um, and Mayor Hawthorne, the first time I met Mayor Hawthorne, uh, I thought I, I saw him and we were talking and I said, you know, I just have to ask, like, is this your music or did you take old black songs and like remix them? Because, yeah. you know, I'm like, it's, it's so authentically done. And he was like, oh, no, I played everything on that, including like, the, like he sang in my ear. And I was like, damn, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So that time yeah. just felt like from there until 2010, I feel like it just really had a, you know, just that fresh, fresh. So you're right. It wasn't trendy. It wasn't popular music in the beginning. It became that. It just like yeah. suddenly it zeitgeisted, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like it was. It was just sort of bubbling up, and, and a lot of stuff was, mm. you know, was just right, like prime to come to the surface. And like, you know, even even Nicole Atkins, like she was working on stuff at that time. It was very yeah. in a similar vein, but like independently. But you know, it just so happened that that like people were just ready for it, especially like coming off like the whole like, you know, Diddy era of the of the nineties and. and oh, like, you know, it's like it was just time for it was just time for sort yeah. of recent. Your ear needed something new. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I went into um, I used to DJ as well. And I um, every, I was going soul uh, shopping and like looking for 45s. And I went into Fat Beats here in Los Angeles. I used to go to Rock and Soul in New York, which was like shout out Rock and Soul Records. That place is unbelievable. If you haven't yeah. been, it's great. Um, but I went into Fat Beats here and they brought out Charles Bradley. And they brought out uh, some Lee Fields for me and they brought out Ruby Bell and the Soulphonics. And they were like, if you haven't heard from Ruby, because I was like telling them all the stuff I liked. And it was 2000. Yeah. It's like 2009, 10. So it was like yeah. that time period. And I just thought, ah, so everything I own is on vinyl. It's all mm -hmm. authentic and it all sounds so really fresh for that time. It was just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. 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 It was, it was good time. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, it so, changes. Yeah. I know. Then it changes. And we, so now here we are. So obviously, and Nicole Atkins and, and, and Ruby, you know, so I wanted to talk about that because I'm mean, clearly you, you know, you're working with Sharon and then she, unfortunately, like Amy passes, Sharon passes. Yeah. You know, it's a collective pause, like what's happening. Um, and then I hear, you know, then I hear you're, you worked with the Sulfonics on their last album. And I was so grateful. I was like, wow, that's just amazing that, you know, you, you did that. And those songs are beautiful. Um, Love Less Blind and Use Me uh, to, or Lose Me Forever. Um, yeah. So if you haven't heard those, those are great songs. And thank you, yeah. Binky, for all your support with that. Yeah, no problem. That. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, thanks to Spencer. Um, you know, we got to know yeah. Spencer from, um, you know, just trips down to Atlanta. And, uh, mm -hmm. and actually, I think he knew Neil Sugarman first. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, and actually the, the, the one of the venues that we probably the, the venue that we played in Atlanta almost every time was just like right next to their studio. Next to the studio. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I wonder I love if that place. there was Amy also. Wow. Really? Well, that's amazing. I would be willing to. Yeah, it's probably because um, I forget the name of it, but it's definitely one of the more popular ones. I don't know if Ruby's on listening, but she can let us know later. Um, yeah. But yeah, we do. And so and so now what are you focused on? Like, so I, I just I guess my question would be like, like with Nicole Atkins is as a great example. Like, are you co-writing and producing and, and playing guitar for her? Is it like, do you play guitar and produce? How, how does it work for you now? Like, and what kind of artists are you looking for? Or do you like, um, you know, how do you select someone to work with? Um, yes. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, 
great. Uh, great. <laughs> with, with, with Nicole, it's like, yeah, we've co-written a couple of things. Um, um, none of, none of like the, the record that she currently has out. Um, and I also worked on with her on her previous record. Uh, but in both times, you know, just in, as in a, as a guitar player and a guitar playing side person capacity um she's you know mostly self-produced although i think she did split the credit with um ben tanner but like for the for the most part like she's the one on the ground like doing all the production but um but you know great to work with like we were introduced also by a mutual friend um leah from habibi um and uh yeah you know just we just hit it off as sort of kindred spirits you know we like you know music from the past like 70s and 60s stuff and um and you know she's a great talent she's got a great voice so and you know we've become friends and we work on stuff whenever we can and she's like she's a she's a good strong lady she makes things happen because she's just always like you know and and she's kind of fearless and and you know should she's like i want to go to muscle shoals and make a record like binky you want to come to muscle shoals and make a record with me i was like yeah i want to go to muscle shoals and make a record yes please (laughs) yeah and so um you know got to meet a couple of couple of legends that you know and it was and work together and you know there's a great atmosphere of mutual respect and it was just a great experience that's great yeah, we were talking to another artist a couple weeks ago, Chris Pierce. He he recorded his album uh, at Muscle Shoals, and it said it was just remarkable. They brought everybody out, you know, yeah. just having all the people who have played on everything that you've ever heard. Is, mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. That's great. Yeah, I love it's that. Just, it's just like you know, they're down home in the in the best way possible. They treat you like the same as they treated Stevie Winwood or whatever or anybody. Just like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you're good. You know, and, beautiful. And, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I love that stuff. So, okay, so you, so basically you're open to like working with some artists if anybody's, you know, got the chops and can, can hold their own and bring in some ideas. You're, you're, you might be flexible. That's for sure. Bit. Yeah. It's like, um, every, you know, every once in a while, it's like, you know, I've had people that have reached out to me about working together and, and sometimes they sort of overestimate what they think that I'm going to be able to do for them. Um, Interesting. And, and so it's like, you know, we've got to, so. and well, it's like, you know, I had one, one artist that, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to start sagging anybody off, but it's like, it's, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah, like don't get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like I, not like I can just like do everything and just like, you know, let the singer come in and be the cherry on top. Mm. Um, I mean, there are, there are times when I like have something of my own and I want to hire a singer for sure mm-hmm. but like if somebody else is coming to me saying like they want to make a record then like they need to bring a record and i can help them make right. a record you know yeah. they need to bring some songs or these like frameworks of songs or some ideas and sure. you know, i'm good at helping helping flesh those things out I'm, I'm good at putting bands together and and good at directing bands um and sort of like you know helping build the groove and you know things like that and Are you uh anything right now not really not at the moment um you know obviously 2020 has got a lot of things on pause yeah 2020 yeah i mean i have a record of my own that's like 90 percent done um but oh. that up. 
another 10%. Um, yeah, from, from what I read about Sharon Jones and your relationship, she says that you're a complete perfectionist. I read that thing that she said you made her sing that song, what was it, 40 times or something? She was like, I don't do that for anybody. <laughs> Maybe not 40 times, but you know, the, <laughs> the thing is, it's, it's, yeah, well, with, with Sharon and with, with a lot of singers, and it's like, and this is a great thing about Sharon, it's like she's going to sing it the way she feels it. So it's like, Sharon, right. it's like, la, 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 la. It's like, Sharon, like, la, 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 You know, so it's like you have to, like, find the compromise between, like, that you idealized, but you also want the emotion. And, like, you don't want somebody that's right. just going to sing your melody coldly. You know, you want right. the emotion. And so if I have to compromise the emotion, like I'd rather compromise, I'd rather compromise the melody than compromise the emotion. Yeah, you know I agree. I mean? Yeah, because you can so, continue, yeah, and keep people in it. Yeah, but then there is every once in a while you'd be like, no, but I really need this note right here. So yeah, we, we had some of that, but you know, it's all love. I'm looking forward to getting back into working with, you know, people next year after things. So yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just anybody that wants to do some live tracking, you know, with, that's got a good feel and like sort of band oriented tracks. Like what I'm what's not my forte is just overdubbing guitar parts on mm. a pre-recorded track. Like I'm certainly capable of doing that. I can like I have like excellent gear at my house to do that. But like I think my my strong suit as a guitar player is, is that I play well with the drums, you know, that interplay of playing live with the drummer. And the bass player, you know, the entire rhythm section. It's like I, I like it when I like it when a rhythm section parts are, are set up like kind of like a house of cards, where like this part leans on that part, and then there's a call and response between that part, and, and it's like and they all meld together like this. But like. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just not the same when it's just a, a random collection of overdubs. You know, so I work with everybody I work with, you know, they like to perform, they like to record live yeah. if they can. And I think yeah. that, you know, when you're dealing, especially like the Sulfonics and Hamish Anderson, the artist that we work with, the, who in your mind probably would be a wanker blues guitarist, which is so sad because he's not a wanker. He doesn't shred. He's not shreddy McShreddy. He is like literally yeah. like Albert King, you know, Freddie King kind of yeah, no, style. They're, they're, so you, you might dig it. Yeah. But I will say like neither one of them, they're not really like the, I want to go in and like lay down, like they, they like to record together. You know, there's something about the magic of that heartbeat that you create together. You know, it makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. You got, it gives it, gives this song a chance to come alive. And it's not to say that like, you know, there have been plenty of great records that have been made with overdubs. It's, it's like a different set of challenges. Yeah, no, I agree. I have to say, I, you know, I knew your work, but then I got the chance to like really go down into your catalog. And I mean, I've, I've said this before, but I'm a massive fan of the stone soul Christmas song that you put oh, out. And I can't believe that that was like 13 years ago. It's, the other thing too, I was listening to your stuff and I don't remember if it was a lot of the things that there were the spoken spoken words over it. And, I, oh, and then when I heard that, I was like, that could be today. Like, oh, it's yeah. just, you know, when you look at the date, you're like, how is that possible that it was like 11, 12, yeah, yeah. 13 years ago? Yeah, that's like holiday breakdown. Yeah, the holiday breakdown. I know. I was like, yeah. that was that was the B side of was it no chimneys? It was it was a B side of a different Christmas song. It was so it good. It's sort of sad and telling that, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'll tell you, yeah. super. I had to stop and look at when it was released. That's how. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. this is insane. And uh, yeah, totally the same thing. So, okay, obviously, I mean, I could talk to you for forever. I do want you to play a song for us because it would yeah. be, a, be really sad if you didn't. And I think it's funny that the song you chose is... <laughs> This is my my latest favorite song. This is uh, song of the year for 2020 and every year. Well, it's pretty self-explanatory. I can I can play this. <laughs> yeah. It goes a little something like this. Let me attempt to 
help you, my friends, with a song that I wrote for myself. But don't think that I'm trying to be rude. Please consider this an offer to help. song by was it playboy man play something man boy or something (laughs) who wrote that song me you wrote that song oh there's a literally another song called don't be an asshole oh yeah there's there's a few actually but no that this is mine i was actually i I, you wrote that that's incredible yeah it's timeless um, it's just you know and like just like the preamble says like i literally did write it for myself so but i mean like everybody needs to sing that to themselves look yourself in the mirror every morning Make a yeah. conscious. Don't. So, but Pinky, you really strike me as the type that would be so inclined. What to be an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you said it, I. I would be inclined to be an asshole. No, you yeah. would not. You don't strike me as the type to be an asshole. Not every day, but you know, we all have our moments. I mean, it, it, it depends on who you That's ask. True. You know, I mean, That's like, true. yeah. Ask, Ask one of my bandmates on like the third week of a tour. Oh yeah, you know? oh yeah. But- Tour's not fair. You can't even talk about touring. That's like that. You that's like push pause because life is not normal in sure, those yeah. cases. Everything's yeah. just you know. That's not. I I don't know. I feel like you got to get a pass if you're having a bad day. I've had a bad. I cried my way from Denmark <laughs> to Germany <laughs> on the last tour I did. Just yeah. like sat in the backseat of the bus. I was like, "Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody." Yeah. yeah. And I'm the manager. Everybody misses. <laughs> it does. You just you miss your family. You miss your friends. You're like, I hate this, but I love you people. And the music is so amazing. Then the, then the crowds come, and you're like, "Yes, this is amazing." Well, it's know, all. Worth it, you I was know? just telling the I was just telling the class of high school kids today. It's like it's it's always fun for like four hours a day. Right, and the 20 others yeah and that's if you can you get three hours of sleep and then, you, and then there's 17 hours you have to figure out what to do with yourself 
Well, I'm really yeah. grateful we got to spend this time together. I know you've yeah. got your album, you said, coming out next year, right? Is that what you're thinking? Well, hopefully next year. It's like It's been in the works for a while. Um, yeah, I, I, gotta, I gotta make it. I mean, you sound kind of like ready to go. I am kind of ready to go, but you know, it's like the producer's an asshole, so I gotta struggle with that. Are you, wait, who's producing it? Me, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like the producer's an asshole and the singer sucks. So there's you that. change that up. Oh my god! Well, you know, let us know if you need any help interacting with the producer or this. <laughs> we can come in and have a talk, and by we, I mean me and my multiple personalities. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we definitely could use. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay so, but I, I just, I want to, okay, so you touched on things that, you know, everybody should know, right? Don't be an asshole and do it for the fun. Otherwise it's going to just be crazy, you know? So if there's yeah. any other words of wisdom you want to shed out, like shed out, shed, shed light on. <laughs> um, That's well, okay. <laughs> I'll come back to yeah. that one. The, the best piece of okay. advice I've ever heard um, came from a three-year-old and she told me, don't act like yourself. Act right. Oh. <laughs> oh, truth. Truth. Oh, that's yeah. painful. She saw it yeah. right through you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I see you. Your trouble. Mm, that's funny. So, uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. The first time I met Lee, he kept calling me Hollywood. Hollywood, Hollywood, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, "Yeah, I can hear that. I hear. It. I know exactly how." It yeah, and I, but I was like, "I'm not Hollywood. I'm there's like little nothing about me is Hollywood. I just happen to live here." And he's like, "You said the blonde hair." So I think my big learning is that sometimes it's not just what you see; it's you know the reveal of people. <laughs> It's like, yeah. Lee, I am not Hollywood, but I'll play that role yeah. on television. So, the, you know, the trick question is, well, it's not a trick question, but our favorite question, and hopefully we'll get some time between now and the end of the year to make a cool playlist out of all of these, is if there's throughout your career, and I mean, God, you've, you've I don't even know how to ask you this question. It's just always a funny one, but like, because you've done so many amazing songs, but mm-hmm. is there one song that you're like, I wish I had written or I wish that that was my song. You know what I mean? I wish I had done that. I wish that was mine. Just as a as a as a as a business person, whenever I'm like faced just, with that question, yeah. I, just, I just think about like the money that that those songs generate. But like, <laughs> "Happy Birthday" was such oh, a big song. Okay, so that's a producer. <laughs> yeah, it is. But like, I would love to own the publishing on "Happy." Um, yeah, no, I think it isn't that a public domain song though. No. Oh, it's not. Oh, I don't even know. That's so funny. I don't. There's two old ladies that have been getting paid for years on that one. Oh, well, that's amazing. Yeah, okay. So that's like somebody said White Christmas, and I was like, that makes sense, too. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. But um, actually, yeah. as far, um, I really like If You Want Me to Stay by Sly and the Family Stone. It's one of my favorite songs. <gasps> Such a good song! This kills me. Like, it's it's really difficult for me to listen to that song one. Mm. I, like, I, I, it's, even when it came out, like, I was, I mean, I was also really young when that came out. And I would always just listen to it five times in a row. But also, um, the the bridge to Mary Jane, Mary Jane by Rick James. Um, yeah. The bridge to Mary Jane is so beautiful, and with the, with the flutes, and actually just the, all of the song, like the flutes are really great in Mary Jane, but particularly the bridge to Mary Jane is just a great piece yeah. of music. Also, um, also <laughs> the bridge. One. No, well, I mean, what kind I'm of just kidding. Also, the, the bridge. <laughs> it's a specific to, one. <laughs> The, the bridge. Which one? Rolling Stones. By who? The, 
The Bridge to Miss You by Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hamish is going to love that. Yeah, that's a good one, too. It's just like so good. The back, uh, and, the back uh, and roll. Like, wait, what's the bridge to the, to the, sing the one for the Rick James Mary Jane song then? It's like a, well, the, the whole, the rest of the song is like, but, but then by the time it gets to the bridge, it's like, I hear it. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> totally here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You're right. That's a good one. I'm gonna stick with your Sly and the Family Stone one though. That's a great yeah. song. That is a yeah. that's a banger if I've ever heard it. Seriously, it like is, yeah. it's a good choice. And I don't think yeah. anybody brought up Sly before. That's a really good one. He was amazing. I mean, that whole <laughs> yeah, his his whole so much to that sound. Yeah, and just for somebody that was like not a great person, still alive, we should be talking about. Yeah, no. But like you know, there's a, a lot of lot of reports of bad behavior, but like such beautiful, happy, friendly music. And yeah. then you know, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Oh, well, that's it. And then there's Rick James. <laughs> Yeah. And the refrain. Uh, oh yeah. my god! Yeah. I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> this yeah. is so much fun. I don't know. You know, nobody tells you when you're when you're like. I mean, I turned fifty this year, right? And I just, you know, you mm-hmm. start to think like all the things that you just want to do in your life, and all of the stuff that we've been able to do in, co- you know, during this this twenty twenty time frame has taught me how important it is to just spend time with the thing that makes you ha- like you were saying, like the thing that makes you happy. And we're in a yeah. rat race all the time. You know, we're going and going and going. So I'm really grateful that this year turned out the way it did because honestly, I don't even know. We released that album in 2018. I interacted with you like 2016 to 2017. I I don't even think, it never occurred to me to sit down and have this conversation with you. So I'm just so grateful that we got to do this. I feel like I learned much about everything that has happened to your, you know, you and soul music. I feel like you don't really need to point fingers any further. It's just all you. You guys were just crushing it and influencing yeah. everything. Absolutely. No, thank you. Yeah. You. Yeah. Like, all right, we didn't weren't really trying to. We were just well, like one of um one of Sharon's favorite um sayings that that she would you know come back to us with was like you know just like she just would follow her joy. Just follow follow your joy. And, yeah, and, that makes total sense. Yeah, because it's like, because money, like, you know, you, you like compromise yourself to make a bunch of money, then you're going to have to spend most of that money trying to forget about how you compromised yourself, you know. And, and, and I've always been aware of this. It's just like, I, if my if if I enjoy my job, then I don't need a vacation. It's like, yeah, I can't afford a vacation, but I don't need a vacation. It's like, I, I, like, I, I know. You know for many years, all I did was smoke weed and play guitar. It's like, I need a vacation from that. It's like, no. Yeah, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> yeah, like free drinks, you know, I mean, like. Yeah, but also you changed history. Like, sonically, you were part of, you know, history changing things, too. So it's like, it's we, not we really the same. Yeah. Hmm? I said, yeah, we touched a little history. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, the first thing I read about you was that you said you wanted to be, you knew at a young age that you wanted to, like, not have that job-like thing, like you were saying, and that you yeah. wanted to be involved with music. I I knew I played French horn. I played, you know, guitar. I played drums. I DJed. And I, it still took me until I was 43 to be like, I'm going to do music, you know, like yeah. you be the opposite. 
Yeah, it's well, it's hard to let go and like say that like, okay, I'm okay with being poor. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, I mean, like, it's like now it's like I'm a I'm a little bit not poor, like certainly not rich, but like I've 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 you know I've been able to buy most of the guitars that I've ever wanted. You know, I've got like my share of possessions that right. make me happy, at least as much as possessions can. But still, it's like it's it, it took me a while, but it's just it, but it was just the most important thing was just not to be stuck in an office like pushing somebody else's paper. So you were on tour a lot with, you know, amazing different people and stuff. Is there one story you want to leave us with that's like a real, like, you should have been there moment? Well, it's like the the, the first time we opened for Prince was pretty amazing. Um, Who's we? Uh, the Dab Kings. With, uh, we okay. opened for Prince um, for the first time in January of 11. Um, okay. at garden at Madison Square Garden. Um, the first oh, time I set foot in, the first time I went to Madison Square Garden was to play at Madison Square Garden. So we got this offer from our manager. He's like, "Hey, you know, Prince wants you to open for him, and uh, it's going to be like X amount of dollars." And it's like it was a pretty decent offer. And time out. When I lived in Minneapolis, I used to live next door to Morris Hayes, who, at the time that I met him, at the time we lived next to each other was right when he started working with Prince. And then Morris Hayes is a keyboard player who actually probably spent like 20 or so years with Prince. So anyway, flash forward to 2011, we get this offer to go open for Prince. Uh, he's like, yeah, he wants the band to open for him at the garden. We're gonna pay you X amount of dollars. And he wants Sharon and the horns to perform an encore with him of Love Bazaar. I'm just like, I'm the only person in this band that cares about Prince. And he asked for four people that are that care significantly less than I do. Nobody in the horn section can. Yeah, so I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm like a little bit salty. We're like, whatever. <laughs> and so, uh, so we show up for sound check. You know, we load in and stuff. And Prince's tour manager comes to us and says, "Okay, the way the way P likes to do it is like he likes to have the opening band." You know, get all get ready, get all your instruments, and just like sit here in the stands. He's finishing up his sound check. Then after he finishes, he's gonna call you up on stage, and then you'll jam together for a little bit. You know, maybe play some James Brown or whatever, and then he'll leave, and then you can finish your sound check. I'm like bet. Okay, so we're sitting there in the stands, we're watching him finish his sound check. He calls us up. We plug in, played a little funk jam for a couple of minutes. Blah blah blah, and um, and and the whole band is on stage. The whole of the Dap Kings is on stage, and um, as well as his band, except you know his drummer was playing drums. And then so after the little funk jam, he's like, okay, well let, let's let's run through Love Bizarre. He only asked for the horn section, but I'm standing there with my guitar plugged in. I know the song, so I just started playing. Prince is on stage, and he's just like, and it's like there's like heavy wah wah in the song, and I know he's a wah wah aficionado. And he's like, you know, unofficially, he's like, I learned a lot about Wawa skills from listening to him. And so I'm just sitting there. And he's just like, like I, and, and, and also I collect Wawa pedals. Like I play really nice Wawa pedals that sound amazing. And so he's like hearing me play and he's like giving me the funk face. He walks up to my amp and puts his microphone in front of my amp so that he can hear my guitar louder. I'm just like, <clears throat> so we play the song, killed it. And then after the song is over, he's like, okay, we're going to need you to play this with us tonight. But your stuff won't be here, so you're going to have to play my guitar. Okay, Prince, I'll play your guitar on stage at Madison Square Garden. Sure, no problem. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, he's just like, yeah, just go talk to Kevin after sound check. So I go to so so afterwards I go talk to Kevin the roadie after sound check, 
and he had there was like Prince had three guitars at this particular gig. Like two of them were brand new, and one of them was like his original like oldest, like his main not the not the not the symbol guitar, but like right. you know the one that looks like this, a Telecaster. Two brand new Stratocasters and his like Telecaster that he's had like since Dirty Mind. So I'm like, Kevin, which guitar can I play? He's like, yeah, whichever one you want. Like, this is my second gig. I don't care. And so <laughs> it gets to that time of the show, like Prince is on stage. And he's like, and he had like the symbol stage. And it's like in the, in the middle of, of Madison Square Garden. And he does like, he does Purple Rain, rips it on the Telecaster, just like he did, you know, in the, in the movie. And, um, and then he goes off stage and the tour manager's like, okay, now it's time for you guys go on. So I was like, Kevin, tune that and give it back to me. So I went back on stage with like, and I played Prince's guitar. And it's like, yeah, total like childhood dream come true. That's amazing. So he literally, you could still feel the the sweat on it from him? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But the the one thing I regret from that is um, I I wasn't playing my wall. I was playing through his his guitar, his amp, and his wah-wah pedal, which did not sound as good as my wah-wah pedal. You hindered me. I was playing this wah-wah part. There's at one point where, where I was playing, he came up behind me and sort of like grabbed me by the shoulders and like put his hand on my back of the shoulder and he pointed to this spot on the stage as if he wanted me to go over there and dance with him, you know, and just like, you know, rock out at the front of the stage. And uh, but I was torn, it was like, but I gotta play the wah-wah part. And I the took too long. I, yeah, I spent too long thinking about it and then he went off without me. That. Uh, to like make a decision do i go for the glory or do i keep playing it's like that rhythm guitar thing again all over again yeah yeah <laughs> and, and then something else amazing happened later that night but i don't know if you want me to you know i mean i know you've been trying to wrap tell me no i mean uh, you know it's it's for us at this point <laughs> yeah i know right so after the show was over um you know we're like in the backstage like decompressing and whatever again the tour manager comes to us and is like it's great he's really happy and it's like now he wants to invite you to come perform at the after party as well do you remember nels when you lived in new york oh my god do i remember nels <laughs> yeah um well it's like same same location it's a different club now but it's like it's still there oh. at least at that time and, and it's, it's it's been a bunch of clubs during the time during the years but anyway the the after party was going to be at the club formerly known as Nell's. He invited us to come play. Ben talked about it for a while. And it's like, yeah. And then we decided to go play. And uh, so when we get there. <laughs> we even had to talk about it. Well, like I said, like some, some people in the band were like not necessarily Prince fans. Yeah. And they were just like Prince fans, yeah. being dicks about it. So opportunity, like, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we went to play the after party. Normally at one of his after parties, he play, his band plays and he like dominates the party. But he was so into us that he just let us play our full set. And um, and he was like, you know, work in the room or like sitting in his little banquette or whatever in the back of the room. But um, there was two times when he got up from his seat and came and stood right down in front. One time was when we played a gospel song called Answer Me. And he like stood right in front of Sharon. He's like totally giving it up for Sharon. Just like, oh. He was just like very enthusiastic. He was like a fan. And mind you, the stage is only like a couple of feet high, two, maybe three yeah. feet high. And um, the other time he got up was when we played, um, I can't even remember, but like some, one of our Dap King songs that had like, it was like, I was just playing a wah-wah all the way through. And he got up and he stood like dead in front of me, just like looking like, and he was like, just right under me, yeah. just like, just yeah. drilling me the whole time. And, you know, but like with like, you know, not like he was trying to freak me out. He was just like, you know, giving me love. Um, and like, I couldn't look at him at all. Cause like my job. Yeah, I was going to say, where did you put your eyes? Yeah. 
I keep my eyes on the singer, but like Prince is like literally like I could have just reached out and touched him. And then after I was after the song was finished, um, he had like some leather driving gloves that he was holding in his hand. After the song was finished, because I wouldn't look at him, he just took his gloves and swatted my foot that was on my Wawa pedal and then walked back to his seat. Oh, you got swatted by him, too. Like, you know, it was just like a you go boy kind of. Yeah, I can totally hear it in my head. That's so funny. Yeah. You know, who? um, bad, you know, it's hard. It's like meeting your idols. Well, I don't know. He probably wasn't an idol to you, but he was obviously he wasn't. But like, you know, meeting people who are so transformative to music and have these like spaces in people's heads. Like for me, it would be David Bowie. Like I knew I could never meet him because I just yeah. couldn't imagine putting context for it. So it's just kind of funny to think like these people just come in and they just like flat. Like they're like, no, yeah, whatever. Big like it didn't. They're just normal people, too. You know what I mean? They're having a good time. It's just fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. On um on Bowie's Friday, I I never met Bowie. I only saw him once briefly. We played at the same festival, but a, a friend of mine played on that Black Star album and had nothing mm. but great stories. So he's like nice guy, yeah. hilarious. First time I ever saw Bowie was at Madison Square Garden, actually. Too, it was just mm. like huge, but. Yeah, but my favorite time seeing Bowie was here at the Palladium where he, it was just like a small, you know, it's basically like a small club for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this is, mm-hmm. when you get to see people that close up, you're like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. Well, Binky, I hope I get to actually sit in person with you one day and have these moments. I think I could tell you more and more stories. Uh, we could tell each other funny stories now at this point, but I'm certainly happy to tell them again and drunker. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you have your album out, will you come back and can we talk about like all of your like album and the, cause I mean, for, I, again, I kind of glossed over this a little bit, but there are s- some really amazing stuff on Spotify. I mean, if you guys can, if you can't get the vinyl of what he does, like and the Dapton and stuff, I think that's still in circulation, right? You can still get oh, those. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you should be able to get vinyl on the, I'm sure on the website or you know, even Amoeba you know, like online, you know, they probably have like the purchasing capability. Yeah. Daptons. But if you can't, I think, you know, you should definitely check it out on Spotify. Cause it's just, it's, a, I mean, all night last night, I, I mean, you know, totally smoked mm. some weed and just went through it all. And I was like, this is amazing. And just like you yeah. said about that slice song, I think I listened to, I, I know you said it was Gabe's song, a, a lover like me. Oh yeah. So many times. Holy amazing too. Like just, Oof, it's so good. Yeah. Well, if, if you start, there's a, a there's a version, and thank you for that. But there's also a, a version of Lee Field singing it as well. Yeah, Lee's got that vocal. Ugh, so yeah, I mean, like he's thing. a singer. Like I, I, I don't, I, I'm a vocalist. Lee is a singer. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, your yeah. vocals are really nice. I mean, it's really good. I'm really a fan. I don't, I'm not phoning it in, Binky. I'm here right. for here to be a fan. Yeah. The stories are amazing. We adore you. I'm so okay. grateful to get to end this year with you. This was you unbelievable. I enjoyed it treme- way too much. And I did not have any alcohol or anything. So I was just napping Yeah, it's a good time. It's a really good time. And I wanted to say a thank you to Hamish Anderson for our theme song, which is going to play us off the little guitar riff. It's so wonderful. Thank you for all of this. It's actually pretty soulful. And uh, Jess and Coco and Johannes and Viviana and my entire team. I don't know if I could do this without you guys. I couldn't. I really couldn't. And if I did, I would be an asshole. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> don't be an asshole. Yeah, and on that note... Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. So much gratitude to you, Binky. Thank you for joining us on Uncut Jewels. Have a wonderful 2021. Thank you for listening to Uncut Jewels. If you like what you heard, smash that like button and subscribe for more episodes. And tell a friend. We firmly believe the world works better that way. This podcast wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for the help of the Uncut Jewels team. Johanna Schock, Jana Fisher, Coco Hong, Sarah Reynolds, Jess Kane, and Viviana Mendoza. Guys, we did this. The Uncut Jewels theme song that you're listening to right now was created by our very own guitar hero, Hamish Anderson. And we appreciate everyone who's helped bring us from where we were to where we're going. To paraphrase David Bowie, we promise it won't be boring. <laughs>